I come from quite a humble upbringing, a council house in single parent background. Mum was a teenager when she had me. I think I said I wanted to do law and I was trying to be dissuaded to do something else that was a bit more of a of an office admin job. I suppose that really forged my ambition and drive. The interview process was quite elitist. I didn't grow up with my father at all. One of the questions from the interviewer was, what does your father do for a living? The bit about coming back from maternity leave, I would say is one of the most challenging bits for most women's careers. You know, your expectations of what is realistic for you to achieve across all aspects of your life have to change when you have kids. Joe, we are absolutely delighted to have you on our podcast and we can't wait for this discussion. You have had a phenomenal career as a lawyer and have moved up the ranks to take on the role of joint managing partner at Lewis Silken eight months ago, following over 15 years as a partner there. You also have had two twin boys who are now 15. As a new partner, I personally have been incredibly inspired by your journey and your willingness to talk openly about social mobility, imposter syndrome, not hiding your nursery pickups and the importance of male allies. To give some context to our listeners, I would love to start by talking about your upbringing and where you think you got your drive and ambition from. Gosh, Joy, what an intro. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm, I'd be delighted too. So it, one of the things that I've found since becoming a joint managing partner is how much more I actually want to talk about social mobility and, and where I, I've come from. Um, it's certainly not something that I've um, hidden in the past, but I've definitely not used the platform of, of, of the leadership roles that I've got to, to talk about it more. So, yeah, I come from quite a humble upbringing, um, uh, a council house in a single parent background. Um, uh, Mum was a teenager when she had me, uh, lived with grandparents till I was seven. Um, always had a ton of support and love and nurturing in, in my background, you know, it certainly didn't lack for, for care and love and attention, but really didn't have many inspirational role models around me. Um, at the secondary school that I went to, I think I said I wanted to do law and I was trying to be dissuaded to do something else that was a bit more of a of an office admin job because um, they hadn't seen many people um, before in, 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 the, in the late 80s um, coming through that background there. Um, but, it, you know, it, it it's, it's a story of, I suppose, that really forged my ambition and drive. You know, I felt from quite an early age that I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I'm not sure why. I think it was slightly um, inspired by things like L.A. Law <laughs> on the TV. But, um, you know, that the bright lights, big city and financial stability of a job like law definitely was a was a was a draw. And it gave me um, something to push against. It gave me something that I think gave me the drive and the will to succeed and the ambition that really started forging my path forward. So, you know, often you find this with social mobility stories is it's 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 a story of, of kind of rag to riches, but it's actually a bit more complex than that. It gives people something that they that they hunger um, and, and, and helps create the person that they are. Gosh, that's a fascinating um, intro into your, uh, your backstory and um, how you've got to where you are today. So in terms of, your schooling and your kind of university were you sort of the first person in your family to go to university did, it sounds like you always knew you were going to do law did you do law at uni oh yeah I, I, I did do law at uni um I was the first person in my family to go to university um there's this really interesting thing that I've only really understood in hindsight that I didn't understand at the time but um 
the sixth form that I was at, which was actually a, a fairly good, um, in the Northeast, we have these six forms that tend to be not connected to the, the secondary schools. And it's a really great idea because it basically, it means you have this big mass of people who've chosen to go to a, a sixth form and they tend to be a bit more successful. Some of the schools that just are middling schools or worse schools that have them. Anyway, I went to the sixth form and they had some really inspirational teachers. And I realised now that one of them saw something in me and thought we need to, to show her something to do with um, where she can go to. Um, and I was told that I'd been chosen to go to Cambridge for a week to do this um, intro to law residential course all paid for. Um, I didn't realise at the time, but it was actually a social mobility thing. They didn't label that until, until I got there. So it was really aimed at secondary school students who, who, who didn't come from the average background to, to inspire them to apply to Cambridge. And I, I mean, I just fell in love with the concept of university, the idea of law, you know, I was in Downing College, it was just in this like Brighthead revisited, amazing and learned environment to be and I and I was thrilled. But it made me sure that I wanted to apply to do law, but not at Cambridge. And it's really interesting, like, I'm kind of quite proud of myself in hindsight that I, I had this, a, 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 awareness of myself which was all the students that I talked to um either seemed to be just so elitist and so different to the way that I felt and I and I had a bit of a I suppose a bit of a chip on my shoulder about coming from a northeast background working class backgrounds and I realized I would either change to fit in and I didn't really like that or I'd spend my time feeling like I didn't fit in and I didn't like that so it inspired me to do law, but inspired me to look around at the universities. And I ended up at Nottingham, which actually was perfect. It was this great law school, got me where I needed to be, but it just wasn't quite as elitist. And and that, you know, in hindsight, it was the perfect choice for me to do. I feel like I have a lot of questions um, in terms <laughs> of the social mobility piece and what we could do better mm -hmm. as a whole. Um, because Cambridge it sounds like was really trying to, to support people Absolutely. like you to come there and to and to go but I mean it's incredible self-awareness for you to say mm. no to that potential opportunity and to realize that it wasn't what you wanted but do you think things have moved on do you think there's more yeah. that we could be doing yeah I think so and to be honest I don't know if it was a sliding doors moment I don't know if I hadn't had that self-awareness I'm not sure it would have been as stark black and white as I've as I feared at the time, it was just this kind of, it, it was so, it was so new and I was so impressionable and I was so in the moment of this big decision. I was the first one to move away to go to university that everything came quite laden with doubt, responsibility. You know, I felt a lot of weight on me to kind of make the right decision for it not to be a failure. So I probably agonised about it more than the average student did at that time. Um, but to answer your direct question, I really think that universities are doing a lot more these days to make it more inclusive. Um, I'd like to think that it wouldn't have even happened the way that I feared anyway. But that's the, that's the reason I made the decision. And when you started in the world of work, how did you find it there in terms of you know, attitude and um, a change from, from what you've been used to? Yeah, so... I was quite lucky in the economic cycle. So I graduated, um, I graduated 96, did Nottingham Law School 96, 97. So I, and I'd, it was that economic cycle, it was boom years. So I'd found a job, second year of law at university. You know, I'd found my training contract by then, which was at a firm called Edge Ellison, which then merged with Hammond. So it's now Squire Patton Boggs. Um, 
the interview process was quite elitist. You know, I remember having an <laughs> awkward question from, um, I mean, this is horrific, the question I'm about to say, but um, bearing in mind, I came from a single parent family and my mum had me when she was a teenager and I didn't grow up with my father at all. One of the questions from the interviewer was, what does your father do for a living? And it really, really, it still makes me shiver in horror, remembering just how awful that was in like this moment of, you know, my big career interview. I mean, you know, God, gosh knows that yeah, you, people wouldn't say that these days, but I just lied. <laughs> I just made up a job because it was my best way out of it at the time. So that things like that were a shock. But once I'd started, once I'd started as a lawyer at Edge Ellison, I... I was yeah I loved it and I was fortunate enough that I started my first seat was in the commercial law team um doing quite a lot of advertising law which is what I, I still do to this day so I kind of fell on my feet in this really quite niche area of advertising and media had a brilliant supervisor um who taught me so much and yeah from that moment on I didn't ever feel like the social mobility story was something that I needed to worry about, I needed to tell many people about, it was just, I was taken as who, who I was. And how about from a gender perspective? Did you notice any differences being a female? How 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 did that progress as, as you progressed through the law? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I sort of feel like we're all products of our decades in which we grew up. And I feel quite fortunate about the exact bit of history that I've been brought up in because you know, when I went to university, there were no tuition fees. I still got a grant, a full grant in those days. So I was this product of, of that era of history, which goodness made made a big difference to me and my and, and my social mobility. Yet we still were quite advanced in terms of gender equality. So I can hand on heart say I've never experienced um, any any sexual discrimination or harassment that I'm aware of. I've never been aware of any opportunities that have not been given to me. You know, all of that. The, the sisters that went before has had sorted all that out by the time that I got there. I think the first time that I started noticing um, that I, I probably needed to just waken up a bit and sort of check that I was, wasn't just being naive about, about what I've just said was when I was coming up to um, being pregnant. Um, so I was, by this point, I'd left what's now Squire Pan Boggs. I joined Lewis Silkin in 2004 um, so I'd been at Lewis Hawking for three years at this point. I was a senior associate and um, knew that me and my husband, Jez, were planning. Um, and surprise, surprise, we found out we were having twins to start with. So that was definitely <laughs> not part of the plan. Um, some would say hyper-efficient, but also definitely comes with its challenges. Um, Double trouble. Absolutely. So <laughs> I was very much on the partner track at that point in time and had already started having conversations about next year would probably be the year that I could do a business case and if the business case was right then you know that I would have some support so there'd already been quite a lot of um, coaching and mentoring and 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 sponsorship so I that the year the dates are kind of relevant in terms of when maternity leave happens and promotion aren't they but um I was due with my boys in um they ended up coming in February 23rd um I think I was due about March um the partnership application starts in the December and you get made up from the 1st of April so the very last thing I did before I went on maternity leave um, in early January was submit my partnership application um, and I remember talking to a, an ex-colleague from a different firm who has to remain unnamed from this but somebody who I'd kept in touch with for my career who knew I was thinking about going for partnership 
And he saw me um, about four months pregnant, very obviously pregnant because it was twins. And his first reaction was, oh, God, terrible timing, Joe. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, yeah, you were going to go for partnership this year. And I said, well, I still am. <laughs> and I got this kind of look that suggested at the firm that he was at that he just thought I was being really naive and it introduced that sense of doubt with me of like gosh have I misread this completely um but happily no you know Lewis Hawking is is certainly a firm I mean I was one of a wave of I think for every year after that at least one woman on maternity leave got made partner so and it still happens now that um you know it's, it's absolutely not a barrier um you know it's it, it's it's just something that's taken for granted that you're there for the long term and as long as your your business case is solid, you just kind of, you know, you, you sidestep the fact that you're going to be out for that first nine, 12 months or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the, that's the part that I'd say about sort of, you know, journeys into maternity there. I think um, the bit about coming back from maternity leave, I would say, is one of the most challenging bits for most women's careers. I don't know whether you experience the same. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> we're not shy about saying it. It's um it's so hard. Um we're we're going through it at the moment. Um and we speak to a lot of women who are going through it. And we hope that um maybe you can share your tips on how you managed uh twins alongside a new partner job. Yeah, I've I've got loads to say about it. And it's I think I'd start by saying, you know. Keep in mind that there's just going to be so many phases to what you go through and, and nothing, nothing lasts forever. And that the bits that you're going through when it's super tough, they don't last forever either. Um, I think when I came back from maternity leave, I came back after nine months of maternity leave. I'd, be, I'd made partner. I feel I feel like I had something to prove and um, probably to my detriment. I kind of came back with incredibly high expectations of myself I wanted to prove that they hadn't made a mistake of making me partner on maternity leave. I felt like I had to do everything to the best of my ability and some. And what I now realise that I, it took me a while to realise at the time is, you know, your expectations of what is realistic for you to achieve across all aspects of your life have to change when you have kids. Um, and most of us as lawyers, um, particularly I've got to say female lawyers, we've got to where we are in our lives by being really driven a star getting the top grades doing the extra mile for every client assignment every exam and and everything in our reward system has rewarded it for it you know we've we've got an a star great you're top of the class you're head girl now you're on to the next stage you know everything has kind of taught us in our inner workings that that extra preparation and study and work and getting everything perfect has actually really rewarded us so you come back from maternity leave and actually it's no longer possible to have a perfect house. I mean, I never had a perfect house anyway. I'll tell you about that another, another part of the conversation. But, you know, perfect house, perfect kids that live up to some Instagram kind of worthy um, look, you know, doing all the stuff for the school PTA, as well as suddenly smashing it as a partner, you know, doing all the business development. And it is relentless if you choose to keep feeding yourself this idea that you've got to be perfect across all of those spectrum and it's it's just not possible so I found out um probably about four or five years into that when the boys were about four yeah it was because it was before they went to school I was getting more and more tired I was more and more miserable really and I remember sitting on the sofa and it was the a typical evening at the time where I had a glass of wine 
laptop open, TV on, but I was neither watching TV nor was I properly working. It was kind of just distracted between the both. And I thought, gosh, I'm in a bit of a rut. I am going to go and see a life coach. And I found a life coach who happens also to be um, a sort of more of a, a counsellor and coach. And when I got there, he really made me understand what I've just said about that kind of perfectionism that we have that has served us really well as a kind of life force up until that point. It's sometimes not helpful when you're facing post-maternity leave, you know, trying to do all of that across all those fronts. So I ended up going through a program of counselling with him, sort of making sure that I understood that I couldn't be at that, that level of perfection across all of my life. So that meant either outsourcing stuff like housework to a cleaner or actually just not doing it and just not caring, you know, um, not caring about what people say if you haven't got the latest Halloween outfit or you haven't done, you're not part of the PTA and stuff. And, and all these things that actually I think um, you just need to be reminded that it's just normal to be a bit kind of shaky around the edges with some of this, particularly if you're a working mum. So that's the journey that I went on. I'm not sure that everyone has to go on that, but I offer it in case it's helpful for anyone else who's feeling like there's just too much to do. And going through that process, how did that then manifest in the workplace? Were you sort of vocal about what you were going to be prioritising or not? Or did you make changes to your role? Like, What did you do? What was the outcome? So I was really supported at the time. I ended up going down to four days a week for a bit of that. Um, so I came back full time because I wanted to. Um, but I had I sort of had the guilty mum syndrome of like, oh, God, I'm supposed to be doing something amazing, like one day a week with them. And, um, you know, I think those of us who've done four days a week know that that's a bit of a lie, to be honest. But um, I did still go down to four days a week for a bit. I needed to learn to delegate a lot more at the time as well. And I needed to lack, I needed to sort of look, teach myself not to be as bothered about the detail of some things. And that's a horrible thing to realise as a lawyer because we're detail orientated and, you know, our clients need us to get things right. But there's a degree in which you can. And Joe, if I may, if I may just jump in there, it's also, I think, particularly going from a sort of senior associate role to a partner role it's so different and such a jump and so if you're trying to meet that level of perfectionism whilst managing multiple matters across multiple clients it's very difficult to let go of control it completely is joy and I think I was lucky enough that I had good colleagues good partners around me at Lewis Silken who not sure I was fully vocal about what I was going through with all of them but enough of them knew and then their arms were just metaphorically around me and sort of helped me and I, they got me um so I went on some great co courses as well so one of them which was called Authentic Women in Leadership which is brilliant um it it's one thing that I got from that was um it talks a bit about discovering your why like your purpose your passion your vision for like not just the area of law that you do but like why are you doing what you're doing and I had this breakthrough moment, which is a bit, it's very much related to this understanding the nature of perfectionism. But it was, I realised that I'd got myself into a rut of saying, oh, I'm tired. I've, I'm going to do this much work and then I've got to go and see my friend and then I've got to do that. And everything felt like it came laden with a, oh, I've got so much to do. And the vision that I came up with for myself is I'm choosing to do all of these things. So if I'm no longer enjoying being this busy, I've got a choice here. I could choose to give up work or do a different job or I could, you know, recalibrate what I'm doing outside of work. 
but I'm not I'm choosing to do this kind of stuff because it enriches me because it fulfills me and therefore I need to I need to flick the record I need to turn turn it over and and ch- change it into something which is I'm choosing to do this and it's because it fulfills me and because it gives me energy actually to be doing lots of different things but if I'm saying that I can't be a stuck record and say I'm tired I've got to work out a way of doing those things to the ability that they need to be done to and then let go and not not try and be the best at all of them um and that was the bit that kind of really changed stuff for me so um not long after I had that revelation I took up running and I I'd say that honestly doing exercise it feels like you don't have time but you have to find some exercise to do to keep you sane it's the it's a cliche but it's just true um now running I'm actually quite rubbish at it like I'm not fast um I do run quite long distances but I'm really not speedy at all and I think that's helpful it's helpful for me not to be like top of the class at something and expect to be like winning medals or something it's kind of it's it's humbling to do something that you just average at but you do it because you enjoy it you meet some people um that kind of thing has helped me stay sane I think what you were saying about um you know when you first come back and you're trying to prove something I think a bit to everyone around you but also maybe to yourself as well and the realization that you can't do everything to you know the highest possible standard I think there would be so much value in someone saying that to people as they come back even from within their organization Mm um yeah to sort of you know outwardly reassure and you know almost set boundaries for them because you it's so hard to set boundaries for yourself when you're trying to prove yourself on your return yeah I think I think you know lots of places I mean we, we had now have sort of a, a more we didn't really have a return to, to to work program of events when I came back I would have benefited from it I know we try to do that now but you're right I think more visible people saying do you know what you're just going to get there like skidding and sliding a little bit in the first couple of years and that's okay um and just not I the bit that I I I wish you could take away from people but I think people probably just have to sort of experience themselves is often having kids is happening at exactly the right time when your career is just taking off and the two colliding at the same time it can be so hard to work out like should I be devoting so much time to my family? Should I be just cracking on with my career at this pivotal moment? And that's the moment I'd like to say to people, just don't worry. It is just a short period. It's going to be over quite quickly. Your kids will be three, four, five years old and you'll be in a different chapter. And just keep plugging away at your career in whatever sense it makes sense for you to do so. But it'll it'll come right in the end. That feels like it's a little bit cliched, but I, I would say that to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so great. <laughs> I think that's so helpful because um, certainly from my perspective, I imagine all these are the same, but you're kind of quite institutionalised, as you say, that culture of perfection, you'll kind of go through the motion, through the steps, particularly in a career like law, where it's very structured and there's clear um, titles to be obtained as you progress through <laughs> the ranks. Um, and actually, sometimes you need to give yourself a break. <laughs> And I mean, I'm, I don't mean that necessarily in terms of an actual physical break, it, just putting that pressure constantly on yourself um, to always be perfect is a, is a tough, tough one to do when you've got um, children that are out of your control. And, and <laughs> no matter how much you try to be perfect, unlikely you'll achieve it. 
you won't and but it'll be all right in the end is what i'll say and um and good enough will be good enough and all, all the rest that we know but um it is quite a short period i mean i i'm you know time obviously time goes fast but like my kids are now 15 and that's a whole different ball game and actually there's i'd say from probably from about six years onwards it kind of got easier and easier and easier it's actually getting quite hard now um GCSE year and you know the the sort of the need the, the feel the feeling that you need to be a bit present at this stage is actually more compelling I think than even you know those early years that you're going through um so yeah it doesn't quite end as it's not quite linear and that that's the thing I'd say is you you'll find your careers will go you'll have spikes it'll plateau a bit because you might have to you know you might have another maternity leave or there might just be a period of illness or whatever and then it'll spike again and it's just it's just not a linear process and as long as you keep doing the right things you know keep keep a strategy in mind I I, I um I, every year I'm, I'm quite good in January and kind of sitting with a notebook and a mind map and thinking you know completely outside of the appraisal process or or, or anything like that it's, it's 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 thinking what my aims and objectives are for the year and that might be you know is it that I want to do a bit more of, of, of the conference circuits and meeting newer people? Or is it that I want to be known for a different bit of the law that I'm a bit known for, but I want to nudge my presence on a bit? And I, and I kind of map out sort of my real personal objectives and I add into those stuff with the family um, or my running or whatever. And I just keep it in my home desk and, you know, keep, keep that to hand um and every now and then just keep a look at it and see how whether you're 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 doing the kind of right mix that you wanted to um you know time's quite precious and sometimes you do need to plan it that's really helpful I think as a practical tip um of 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 a way in which people can slightly manage their aims and ambitions looking I think across the piece from a broader perspective um in terms of women listening to this right now I'm quite interested in the four day a week approach that you mentioned um I got the sense that you didn't love that that way of working um there are quite a lot of women we speak to who are considering part-time or perhaps even just get pressured um there's quite a lot of pressure to kind of do have this like day a week where you're doing as you mentioned something amazing with your kids um what would you say to someone who's thinking about it who's perhaps ambitious wants to push forward but feels a bit of mum guilt yeah. and feels like they should have a day a week with their kids it is such a tough one and um I sort of get, I'll give you my really personal perspective rather than um and I'll just sort of say like how I felt rather than what I think everyone should feel because I think it really it does depend on your your job your your, your department the support you've got your life partner your own person there's so many things into the mix I think I fell into that classic trap of I, I did four days a week for about four or five years so it wasn't like just a short short period but I never really worked four days a week I never really did 80% of FTE I I very much did um you know like it was Friday was was often the day that I it was my non-working day and Thursdays I was working till midnight doing all the end of week deadline stuff that I wouldn't be doing on Fridays and I just went through a period where Fridays I ended up um, being exhausted because I'd worked bloody hard on the Thursday and then I'd be down at you know the playground or you know taking kids to swimming lesson and I'd be really tired and grumpy and probably on my, my phone for half the time like answering emails 
So that's that's my memories of it. Now, talk to Zach and Oliver. They have nice memories of it. They 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 remember when they were at nursery and I, you know, they, we we were there one day a week. They have nice memories of me like stopping, you know, being there for the, the school years at, after school. So, you know, there was definitely it, it was not all bad. Um, and if people, but but what I would say is, um, if you go into four days a week expecting it to be this magic Monday that you go to make jam and to take them to, to all the activities that you think think that you were going to do, you're going to be really sorely disappointed. You're probably going to be quite exhausted from the week. Maybe it's a day that you need to spend for yourself doing some stuff, you know, that, and that's perfectly fine. So I think, um, yeah, if you're going to it with a really fixed idea about um, you know, I will never pick up a call or an email on my day off and and I, I'm just non-contactable. That can also be challenging. I mean, it's, you know, not if you were in a, a quite a low level, but in the senior positions that we're in, I just I just don't think you can be as inflexible about that. But how you then make, make that into something meaningful that means you actually deserve that 20% pay cut for that day off, it, it's really hard to manage. Um, the thing that I'm observing, which I am quite intrigued by, is how quite a few women on four days a week are returning to five days a week post pandemic. And part of that is, I think for those of us who've been doing four days a week for a long time, we've gone into the COVID years and the dads have also got involved with the kind of flexible approach of dropping off at school and dropping off at the, whatever the parents evening are and stuff like that. And it's just meant that I think women who were previously doing four days a week because they just liked having a bit more time in their schedule to do those extra errands. They're kind of looking at going, well, actually, do I need to take a pay cut for that? Because we're all living in a much more flexible world. So for those people, that's this would be what I'd say is my lesson is if you think you need to go down to four days a week because you're feeling guilty to your company or guilty to your career because you want a bit of extra flexibility, to do those things like go to the school performance in the morning or go to the dentist with the kids when you need to or you know those errands that you've got to do I think we as women in careers should challenge that now and I think us who are in positions of leadership who can, who can support that should really be challenging it saying actually Covid taught us that everyone should be having that flexibility in their lives and we all survive better for it and I'd like to see those women who were otherwise thinking they had to go down to four days a week, just do it and, you know, be flexible like the rest of us. Yeah, I think it's a really good way of thinking about it. Um, one, and this is devil's advocate, I don't actually necessarily agree with this, but one thing that people say, um, one of the things you come up against as a mum who is leaving early for pickup or coming in late or a dad um, is, you know, from a younger person who doesn't have children yet, oh, why are you being allowed to leave at five o'clock when I'm staying here working. Um, so that's a bit of a tension that I think, you know, I personally haven't come against it, but I think that is something that that people do experience from time to time. Yeah, it is. And it's something that I, so I, one of my mentors, the, the wonderful woman called Jo Evans, who's now the chair of, of Lewis Silkin. So when I was coming back from um, Matt leave, she said to me pretty much what you just said, which is, um, you know, when you come back, be be the, the visible change you know up until this generation this was 2008 she was saying you know up until that generation um if you're a working mom going to do the nursery pickup you know we'd let you do it but you'd go down the back stairs you know you wouldn't make it obvious that you were leaving at half four to do that so be be visible you know get up from your desk say goodbye to people and go out the front stairs 
um and tell people where you're going and you know she's absolutely right and it's only when more and more leaders do that and more of us in senior positions are really visible about flexible flexibility that that voice that is that mean spirited or doesn't think that you know that most of us are doing that um and that that kind of quiets that voice I do just think as well that everybody is working in a much more fluid and flexible way so you know having to take time off in the middle of the day to do whatever nothing to do with kids but just just live life and then log on in, in, at different times that's becoming more of the norm so I, I'd like to think that kind of voice is starting to become quieter I, I would agree with that and I think it's and um, I think law is a really good career actually for that flexibility because we're at the moment um we all charge on chargeable hours basis so we all record our time so actually what that does give you is a so much flexibility because you know the stats are clear so I, I do think it's it, it's not a bad career path um yeah so. I completely agree with with it's it's so baked into how our our outpost you know it's very unit driven it's very it's very clear whether we're working or not based on, on the chargeable time that we record so yeah, in some ways it should be the easiest. I think in some teams it's harder, um, undoubtedly. You know, I don't do, I'm not a transactional lawyer as such. You know, I do big contracts, but they're not the same as a big project. Um, I don't do litigation. And the reason why I'm saying that is I think it it's traditionally been harder um, in some of those industries and in some of those, those, those service lines to accommodate some of the most flexible working. But those days are changing. I'm confident to say, you know, I think, we're just getting used to the idea that not everyone is on all the time. And sometimes you might have to have larger project teams for those things to, to accommodate for people who are on different um, working times. But I feel like it was easier for me, put it that way, than some of those teams. Joe, could, could I ask you, do you, does your husband work and has he worked throughout having young children? Um, it, he does. Um, he has had a few few periods off, um, really in COVID. Um, so he is a marketer. He's always a CMO at fast growth startup tech companies. Um, and his 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 contract came to an end literally March 2020. So we were going through, I mean, we were going through an awful time at the time. We were renovating our house. So we just moved out to like a tiny two room flat, which was supposed to be for like three or four months whilst the worst of the renovation got done oh, and um oh and no. then lockdown happens and then homeschooling happens and when I say this was like a two-room flat I mean it was it was like a place that we used to live in as students because we just got somewhere cheap for like that was supposed to be put our head down for while we were going through the worst of the works um so we were there for eight months in lockdown with two 13 year old boys yep and um so Jez just didn't take a contract on during that time because he needed to he needed to crack on one of us needed to do something to, to help like with homeschooling you know I was in the middle of awful COVID planning for the business so yeah I cracked on so yes he does work but um I think what that lesson teaches you is is that like in all families at some point one person's career has to has to take priority and that was one of those and casting all the way back we went we only talked about it briefly um how did you find maternity leave and how long were you off work from yeah I was off for nine months um maternity leave was quite fun I kind of um it was a bit weird at the beginning when I was waiting to find out if I was um being made partner or not um I had a wonderful group of NCT friends that I'd made um and I was hosting my first NCT kind of get together um whilst I was waiting for a call from the then CEO <laughs> so 
uh, I, I literally just had the call to say, yep, yeah, you, we've got your offer of partnership here. And then half an hour later, I was opening the door with cupcakes and champagne <laughs> for my NCT oh, friends. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And they had no idea. So they were kind of, oh, right, we're, we're celebrating. So I had I had fun on maternity leave. Um, I didn't think about work at all, actually. It was a bit, it felt like a bit like, um, just felt like I was in a different world, which I was quite enjoying. Um being mummy joe and going to baby yoga and things like that but I didn't keep up with my emails I didn't read really know how I really properly switched off um I think I then had a little minor panic when I came back because it just felt like how do I turn into that other joe again um but you do you find out you haven't forgotten it at all it doesn't take long at all so actually I'd be an advocate for properly switching off if you feel like you want to um yeah did you feel grateful in a way that you only had to take one mat leave and <laughs> have two mm. children or is or actually no no I didn't I kind of I felt a bit cheated actually <laughs> I, think, um, <laughs> I um yeah I went through so I went when because the, 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 um we didn't know we were having twins like I said at the outset um and as I was going through all the stages um of you know them going out with their first baby grow or like giving up breastfeeding or you know all these kind of big milestones that you build up um I had a moment I was like oh god I'm only doing this once that's really sad um then we kind of talked about maybe having another but the risk of having twins when you've had one set of natural twins is really high so I think I was told that at the age that I had the boys I was something like a one in 84 chance of having twins because we didn't have twins in the family but if you fast forwarded another three years and I got pregnant again, the chance would be one in four, which was a little bit too high. <laughs> That's a, a gamble. <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, a mum of four. I'm not sure that uh, yeah, yeah. that would be very easy to deal with a career as well. Yeah, you'd love me on this podcast with that. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> um, I'm I'm really interested in the twins. Could you, like, how how was it generally? For, do you think it was significantly harder having two at the same age because you're going through every stage at the same time? So terrible twos, terrible threes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really simple, right? So the first six months, I think, are unbelievably harder. Um, occasionally, I would like realize what it was like for the NCT friends I had with just one and I'd kind of go oh my god it's so much easier for them than it is for me and it was just you know sleep patterns like the relentless feeding just it was it was like this you know machine that we had to be like to get through each day and then they hit six months and it was lovely and kind of get into a routine and you feel like you know what you're doing and it was fine until they both got mobile and then it was you know I always joked that sometimes I felt like somebody would see me like running after them as we were in the park and one would go in one direction and one would go in the other direction. You could almost like sense like the Benny Hill theme music in the background, just this like chaos <laughs> of like running around. You know? And that and that lasted, I'd say, until they were three. And then after that, honestly, twins is a dream after they're three, up until probably the teenage years, because actually the fact that they're always the same age becomes a benefit. So when one of them's old enough to play a board game, the other one's old enough to play a board game. When one of them's old enough to go to Legoland, the other ones, you know, and, and so, yeah, that's really nice. so yeah. and they're best friends. So it's kind of this beautiful, um, you know, unit that comes together. But teenage years, mm, different story. 
<laughs> they might be a bit too young to sort of reflect on it, but do you have a sense of what they think about your career um, and the fact that they've had a mum who's who's worked throughout their childhoods? I don't know whether they've got the perspective of the working mum bit. Um, we've yeah. had a, a recent thing of, so it's only in the last eight months that I became joint managing partner. And um, uh, they had to do some work shadowing, just a day's work shadowing. Their school said, go to your parents. If you if you can, go to a parent's or a relative's workplace. So they came to Lewis Silken for the day and they met lots. I got them sort of just talking to people. But while they were there, me and Rich Muscala, who's the other joint managing partner, it was our day for doing the town hall. So Zach and Oliver had to sit in the town hall listening to mum answering questions from the staff, which I think has left a lasting impression on them of, you know, <laughs> what my job entails. Um, they did give me feedback, which is that I said, um, a lot in it. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, do, are they proud of you, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they're, 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 they're too teenage to say that directly, but yeah. I think yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe give it five years. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to this in five years' time and we'll see when they go, yeah, of course we won't all get out. <laughs> Yeah, when well, they're both studying law at university. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and Joe, what's what is it from here? What what are your ambitions going forward? Oh, I've got a lot of ambitions for the firm at the moment to do with um yeah, I want to talk a lot more about social mobility and you know, I feel like it's 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 a both a a privilege as well as a as a burden on me. Like I've got I've got to make sure that I shine a spotlight on social mobility. That's definitely what I should be about. Um, but, you know, broader than that, the strategy of the firm, I've got a lot of ambitions for where we're going to go during my term, however long that might be. Um, I'm really enjoying life at the moment. I mean, it's kind of it's I'm definitely at a bit where things are quite busy. I, you know, the lessons that I've learned are definitely I'm having to, to use quite a lot about how I structure my time, making sure I do things like running and that I don't stay always on and I'm not kind of overly controlling things I'm definitely having to put that into practice at the moment it's pretty full-on um but yeah I'm excited and casting your mind back over this whole journey from you know, finding out you're pregnant having your children coming back um we'd be really interested to hear what you know, sort of your biggest high and your biggest low have been over that time period yeah I'll start with the low which always end on the optimistic moment I think the low exactly the low, I would say, is definitely the moment at which I just realised I was exhausted and in a rut. And I ended up going to the life coach and who, you know, agreed and, and could see that I'd really got myself into a bit of a trap of the way that I was approaching everything and being a perfectionist. So that definitely has got to be the low. But I think, you know, it's yin and yang, you know, that moment that then led to actually kind of my purpose and vision and 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 where I've it's given me so much more in terms of what I can not just say about myself, but what I can say to others. So, you know, I, I like the idea that I can inspire people by being honest about things at that moment and telling them my journey, which, you know, no journey is the same. So I would never say do what I've, what I've done. It's just hopefully there's something in it, which gets people thinking you, you can just be good enough and you don't have to approach things with that same, perfectionist mindset which has probably got you where you are today and therefore it's hard to to leave that behind but just take inspiration from people who are saying <clears throat> they might look like they've got it all but they've got it all because they've been good enough in in those all the various things that they're doing rather than um excelling in everything 
Joe, it feels like you're talking directly to me here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a counseling session. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, anytime, I will be happy to do that. Maybe that. Maybe that's what I do when I finish this, right? An inspirational speaker. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Joe, thank you so much for your time. I mean, really appreciate it. I know how busy you are, and, and um, taking the evening to speak to us is really, really appreciated by us and our listeners. I've loved hearing your story, um, you know, all the way from your, um, as you said, humble beginnings, which I think is really inspirational and amazing, and something that, you know, all of us and anyone who's in any position of authority in a company needs to think about more deeply um, in terms of, you know, social mobility and what we can do to help. Um, and I think from the motherhood journey, also really down to earth, useful, practical advice for people um, take their. You know, perfectionist hat off every now and then and, and just try to be good enough. Um, so a huge thanks from both of us and everyone at Women Who Work for joining us. No problem at all. Really pleased to meet you both. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much for listening to our new Women Who Work podcast. Please help us to grow our listenership by subscribing, reviewing and commenting. And please do share with any friends or colleagues who you think may find this useful. Also join us on LinkedIn or sign up to the mailing list on our website www.womanwhowork.uk to ensure that you never miss any of our content. If you'd like to be involved with Women Who Work or have any ideas for us, then please do get in touch on email at hello at womanwhowork.uk. Thanks again.